Broadcasting live to the world. Now, it's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, end-time watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Monday, September 21st, 2015 edition. I broadcast weekdays, Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and on the weekends, Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on WINB and Worldwide Christian Radio, and there is a call-in number for that show as well. You can check out all the information at weekendvigilante.com. Well, we're going to get right into it. My guest today is Pete Torres. He is a pastor in the Bronx, New York. He has a powerful ministry. And tomorrow night, he's going to be doing an event, a mass deliverance on his show, which is tomorrow night at 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. You're not going to want to miss that. And that event is linked there on today's bio tomorrow night, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, all the information and all the details are linked there on today's bio. Brother Torres, if you would open up in prayer, and then just I'll let you get right to your teaching. So you have the floor. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray that every ear would be open to hear, Lord God, that every heart would be good ground, and that when the seed of your word hits, oh God, the hearts of your people, Lord, every life would be transformed. The captive would be set free. The brokenhearted would be bound up. Families would be restored. Sicknesses, O oh Lord, would be healed. Strength would be given to those who are weak. O oh God, we believe that you are able to do all this and so much more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. I want to open up, and, and, and we're going to be going through a lot of scripture tonight. Um, if you're one of those people, and, and I, I love people like this. If you're out there and you're listening, you're the kind of person that, like, look, I'm going to check everything. Have a notepad ready because we're going to go through a lot of scripture, and you may not be able to keep up. But I'm going to start in the book of Amos, a uh, great and powerful book. And in chapter 3, I want to read just verse 4, and then I'm going to skip to 7 and 8. There the word of the Lord says, Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? Skipping down to verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The Lord has given me a prophetic word in terms of what he wants to transpire, what he is intending to do with his church for 2015. And I've been, I've been so wanting to get this message out because I know that it's for more than just Rockland County. It's more than just Kolkata Christ Ministries. My message for tonight is simply entitled, 
homecoming. Brothers and sisters, are you ready for the homecoming? First of all, let's begin with this. I want to frame what I'm saying in two verses of Scripture. I want to warn you, brothers and sisters, there is a shaking coming, and it's coming to the church. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begins at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? I want to jump then to Hebrews 12, 26 to 27. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, quote, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. My brothers and sisters, hear me and hear me good. There is a shaking coming, and it's already begun. So much is being shaken in the economy, in the world of politics, in the world of safety and security. Basic tenets of society are falling apart. There are forces in America that are trying to bring us back to a time of race wars and race riots. And they have the ear of even the most powerful men and women in government in our nation. We're seeing a time where here near where I live, in one of the largest cities, if not the largest city in the United States of America, the mayor is turning against his own police force. The police force is being ridiculed for actually doing their jobs. Listen, I'm not discrediting any mistakes. I'm not discrediting the fact that bad things sometimes happen. But just consider the fact you want to live in a society so lawless that police do not have the right to enforce the law. But that is where we're headed. There's a shaking coming. But Peter warned us in 1 Peter 4, 7 that the shaking has to come to the house of God first. If God is a good father, if God is going to stand as a righteous judge, he has to judge the compromise. He has to judge the evil. He has to judge the mixture. He has to judge what is going on in his house. He has to shake this sleeping bride called the church, this mega giant, this force for good, this light, this salt, which has gone to sleep. He must shake us first that we awaken. You see, my brothers and my sisters, we have come to perilous times. We have come to a time where men won't even receive sound doctrine. Where good is evil and evil is good. Where men have become lovers of self, revilers, disobedient, where chaos seems to reign. In fact, I read a report the other day, I believe it was from the International Geological Society, that literally right now, if you have a compass, you may notice your compass has trouble finding direction every now and again. And what they were saying is the magnetic poles are shifting. Magnetic north is becoming magnetic south. Magnetic south is becoming magnetic north. Now they warn there's really no, this is not going to cause catastrophes and don't think this is just some odd natural thing that the planet may do every couple of thousand years. Interesting that they say it may do this. They're not sure. No one's ever tracked it, but it seems natural. 
Part of me feels that maybe this is God's way of putting an exclamation point on making crystal clear in the measurable scientific frame what we already know is going on in the spiritual and the sociological and the psychological frame that up is down, down is up, good is evil. We have turned the world upside down and unless the church wakes up, there's going to be nothing to set things right again. Understand. So many people are talking about 2016 and they're looking forward to the election. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, yes, if you are a U.S. citizen, exercise your rights. Go and vote. But if you have put your confidence in the White House or the State House or the Courthouse, you are going to be disappointed. The Bible says of Emmanuel, of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the government shall be upon his shoulders. The only hope for humanity is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in a church engaged in a silent rebellion where the confusion of the world has come in, Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And brothers and sisters, we are coming into that time. It's going to start to cost us something to be Christians. There is a shaking Coming. But believe me, brothers and sisters, it is not a bad thing. The shaking that is coming is the only way that God himself, because Jesus said we can't do it as men, the angels can't do it. But when the time of the harvest comes, the Lord himself, through this shaking, will be able to separate the wheat from the tares. He's going to begin to separate the sheep from the goat, the true believer from the false. Much of the church today finds itself in a setting very similar to John 5. At the opening of John 5, we see one of the great miracles of Jesus Christ, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. Let me read just the opening of that, just two verses. If you go to John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, you read the following. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the troubling of the waters. Brothers and sisters, look at this environment. Jesus is about to do a great miracle that teaches us much about what's coming our way. By the way, for those of you who listen to this program regularly or semi-regularly, for those of you who have been out to conferences like the one Brother John Ramirez and I did at KQC, and you're wondering, I've gotten delivered, but then the enemy comes back and I can't seem to hold on to my deliverance. This miracle at the pool of Bethesda holds the key to your deliverance, to not just taking ground, but holding ground, keeping ground for the Lord. So follow me into this, but keep in the back of your mind what I was saying in, before about the prophetic message and about this shaking that is coming. Consider the situation in the background here. The pool of Bethesda is very much like the church of today, and I say church in quotation marks. Because the true church, the living church, is going to rise and stand. But the church that we see, especially in America and much of the West today, finds itself in the predicament that this man by the pool of Bethesda was. It says a multitude. 
That means so many in number that it would almost be a ridiculous, almost a waste of time to begin to count. Not a few, not some, but the majority, a multitude. And it says in the place there's a multitude of what? Sick, blind, lame, and withered. The word sick means infirm, unhealthy, and weak. It goes beyond just a common sickness. It goes beyond just a common cold. It speaks of those who have come into the house of God, but there's no power. There's no strength. It's like Paul talked about those people who have a form of godliness but deny the power of the gospel to set men free. It speaks of those who have a ritual and they have a system and they know when to rise and when to sit and when to lift their hands and when to say amen. And if you say God is good, they'll respond all the time, but they don't have power to liberate the captive soul. They don't have power to bind up the brokenhearted. They've come in with great zeal and great enthusiasm, but their enthusiasm has died and they find themselves infirm, unhealthy, and weak. It says also that they were blind. Blindness speaks of those who have lost their vision. In the spiritual, it speaks of those like Samson who so compromised, who so got comfortable in the enemy's camp that he didn't realize that he was giving away the secrets of the spirit. He didn't realize he was grieving the spirit of almighty God and cutting himself off from the plan of God. He had lost his vision and lost his way because he was seeking his own thing. And there's a multitude of people in the church today who have no vision for God. Oh, they claim to have a vision. It's a vision of my best life now. It's a vision about me, my foreign no more. It's a vision about health, wealth, and prosperity. But it's a vision that can't go beyond this world. It's a vision that cannot see into the great beyond. It's a vision that cannot recognize the spiritual realities around us. They are blind. And they are lame. The lame speak of those who either have had limbs amputated or have limbs that are still there but they have no power. It speaks of those who no longer know how to use or write the gift that they have had. It speaks of those who have lost much coming into the house and been betrayed and followed the wrong message and gone the wrong places and they find themselves now halt. They find themselves now limping. They find themselves unable to stand on their own two feet. And then it says that they were withered. The word used here for withered specifically means, please note this, listen carefully, give me your good ear. Now keep in mind that we as Christians are called the body of Christ, right? Members of the body deprived of their natural juices and therefore wasted away. How many people are in our churches today cut off from the flow of the Holy Spirit? They've been deprived. How many are in houses that have believed the lie that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was only for the foundational church? That somehow the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit have vanished and gone away? That somehow Jesus lied and he did leave us orphans? Let me tell you something. 
The Bible is a great good book, but remember even the Bible says that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If all I have is the written letter, if all I have is the letter itself, but there's no rhema, there's no revelation, there's no Holy Spirit, then what I hold in my hand is death unto me because I have no vehicle for making the promises real. We've got to get back to Pentecost. I don't care. If you're an Adventist, I don't care. If you're an Episcopalian, I don't care if you're a Presbyterian, Methodist, the good Southern Baptist. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the power of God to live this Christian life in this generation. But how many sit in houses cut off from his power, withered, dry, deprived of the natural juice of the flow of the Holy Spirit, and therefore wasting away? hurting and wishing they could have life. How many people in our churches are in just this condition, sick, blind, lame, and withered? How many whole churches does this describe? I've been to whole churches, and they have great musicians, and they have great talent, and they have all this music, and because of that, they think that there's life, but they're like that church to whom Jesus wrote, you have a reputation that you're alive, but you're dead. You're not dying. He said you're dead. You're finished. It's over with you because you've lost sight of the Christ. You see, the setting also says that this man was at the edge of the pool by the sheep gate. So he's dried and withered, lying beside the source of refreshing and yet unable to access it. The word Bethesda means a house of mercy, of goodness and faithfulness. A place of flowing water. You see, the Holy Spirit is here. He is available to every believer as a very present help in time of trouble. But how many people come in and out of houses of God, never getting filled, never getting touched? Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you tonight on this broadcast, I don't care where you live. I don't care if you're listening in in Europe or any place here in America. I don't care if you're listening in from Latin America, Africa, wherever you may be, Asia, out on the islands. Religion is never enough and dead, empty religion will create dead, empty consenters to an intellectual faith that cannot transform the heart, cannot renew the spirit. You must be born again. And to do that, you have to tap in to a knowledge of who God is. You have to bend your knee to his lordship. You have to know God. And he sent us a guide. He sent us his Holy Spirit to lead us into his presence. But so many churches are filled with sick, blind, lame, withered people. How many sick, blind, lame, withered men and women are standing in pulpits, preaching a God they do not know to a people who cannot see him? In such circumstances, God must send the shaking. The Lord must judge. The Lord must be vindicated. The way Jesus Christ came in and turned over the tables of the money changers and cast out those evil men with a scourge of cords, the Lord has to come again. There must be a shaking. The heart of the Lord is for his people. And yes, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And yes, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But my brother and my sister, hear me. 
When God shakes the church, his shaking is not for destruction, but for renewal and separation. Hear the voice of God speaking through his prophet Hosea. In Hosea 11, as God was preparing to judge his people, right about verse 8, he says the following. But how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, Israel? How can I make you like Adman? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me and all my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar. And his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. My God, once again, we have this word. A lion is roaring. Not that snaggled tooth, broken tooth, toothless wimp of a lion called the devil. He's not a lion he pretends to be, seeking someone he can destroy. But there is a lion of the tribe of Judah, and he has prepared to roar. And his roaring is heard through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, verse 2, and then again 5 and 6. Especially verse 6 is his roar. Hear it. When you pass through the waters, he doesn't say if, my brothers and sisters, we're going to go through the water. But he says, when you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. My brothers and my sisters, don't be afraid. I'm tired of all the fear-mongering. I'm tired of Christians who are preparing for the coming of the end by building a bunker and stocking up food that they believe won't go bad and changing their money for gold and hiding it in a mattress and stocking up on guns and ammo. Let me tell you, my brother and my sister, there's not enough ammunition in the world to save you from the hell that will be unleashed when the end comes. So if you do believe that the end is coming, if you do believe that the tribulation is going to come, why not make preparation to escape the tribulation? Why not build an ark of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and prepare for the rapture rather than preparing to survive an unsurvivable hell called the tribulation? We have a promise that we will not be burned by the fire, that we will not be drowned by the flood, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself will stand with us just as he stood with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. He will stand with you like he stood with the Hebrew three. He will stand with you as he stood with Daniel in the lion's den. He will stand with you as he stood by Esther. He will stand by you as he stood with the apostles. He will reveal 
reveal himself as he did to Stephen. And even if they stone us, the last thing you will see is the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God in glory and majesty, waiting to welcome you home. Brothers and sisters, don't be afraid of the fight, but you cannot fight this battle with guns and weapons of men and war. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. We're going to raise up faith. His weapons, his, the weapons of God are faith and love, joy and peace. They're the power of God to live righteous in this world. But let me get back to the roar of the Lord. Isaiah 43, verse 5. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. My brother and my sister, hear me and hear me good. God is going to walk right into the midst of your fire and your flood. He's going to shake everything that can be shaken. And through this shaking, he's going to establish a church. Watch what it looks like as Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda. Going back to John chapter 5. The man is there. He's surrounded by men. They're sick. They're blind. They're lame. They're withered. Oh, he's been there 38 years. But that day, Jesus saw him. Don't you ever believe the lie that the Lord has tarried too long? As Peter put it, do not take the Lord's patience for slackness. He's going to deal with the injustices of this world. He's going to deal with the unbeliever. But he is loving and merciful, and he's making a way for more to be saved. But you need to know, my brother and my sister, in the midst of your personal hell, in the midst of your sickness, in the midst of your blindness, in the midst of your lameness, in the midst of your being cut off and withering and dry, Jesus sees you. And Jesus walks up and he asks the man a very simple question. Do you want to be made well? Brother and sister, that word means sound, whole, restored. I'm going to ask you the Lord's question tonight. Do you want to be made sound? Do you want to stop the tormenting of the devils and be put in a sound mind? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be restored to that place that the Lord has called you to? Some of you, you've dropped your calling. Some of you have lost your way. Some of you are like the prodigal son. You took the gifts that God gave you and you ran and wasted them on riotous living. You got involved with the blab it and grab it prosperity gospel crowd. You got yourself confused. You got all twisted up in the hyper grace crowd. You got all mixed up in the emergent church and you don't know anymore whether you're believing in the new age or if you're Buddhist or Hindu or Christian and you can't see the difference and the lines between the world and the church are blurred. Do you want to be restored? And the fascinating thing is this man doesn't even answer him. He goes on to give God his list of reasons and excuses of why it cannot be done. Brothers and sisters, 2015 is going to have to be an age of putting away your excuses. You're right. I don't know what happened to you as a kid. 
I don't know about the depth of your abuse. No, I don't know about your betrayal. I may know mine. You may know yours. We can compare battle scars, but at the end of the day, pain is pain. And if parts of you have been amputated, if you're living with a lame heart, your vision has been stolen, if you're sitting there infirm, unhealthy, weak, withered, dried up, and deprived of the strength that is yours, who cares how you got there? If the one who can get you out is standing before you, saying, do you want to be made sound, whole, and restored? Brothers and sisters, let's put away our excuses. But even for those of you who may not want to let go, I have good news for you. Because Jesus didn't wait for this man to change his song. He simply spoke a word. He said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Get up, my brother and sister. Now, that's an impossible command to a lame man. And some of you right now are in terrible situations, and you feel like God is speaking an impossible command. That is part of the shaking. When God comes in and says, look, I've let you cry, and I've let you have your pity party long enough, but the time has come for you to get up. Yeah, but you don't know it. Get up. Yeah, but they laughed at me. Get up. But they stabbed me in the back. Get up. But he broke my heart. Get up. Get up to the person who's in a dead, dry church. Get up to that person going from service to service with nothing changing. Get up to that person who's locked in a church that's all fun and games and stupidity where everything of the world has come into the church. Get up to that person who's bound by addiction to pornography. Get up to that brother or sister Christian who still thinks weed and marijuana are the answer to your pain, get up, get up, get up, pick up your mat, that thing that's carried you around so long, pick it up, Jesus said at the close of Mark, that these signs would follow those who believe in my name. And one of the signs is that they would take up serpents. Don't you be led astray anymore. And don't you be bound anymore. Get up. Walk away. You see this man at hearing the word of the Lord immediately got up. He was immediately healed. He took up his mat. He didn't care that this isn't the way it was done. He didn't care that the waters weren't being troubled. He didn't care that it violated every rule that everyone thought. He didn't care that it was the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to carry your mat on the Sabbath. The Lord has spoken a word and I'm going to get up and I'm going to carry this thing and I'm going to make it a testimony and I'm going to testify to everybody whether they want to hear it or not. My brother and my sister, the shaking coming to the church is going to be an opportunity for you to get up take up your mat and walk but you're going to have to walk away from the places and the things that bound you you're going to have to walk away from some friends you're going to have to walk away from some tv programs you're going to have to walk away from the stuff that you're listening to you're going to have to walk away from some of the news programs you're going to have to walk away my God, because if we're not willing to obey the voice of the master, then there will be no freedom. There will be no deliverance. If we're not going to obey the voice of God, then we waste our time. So hear the voice of the Lord and get up. It's not enough to be in church and be religious. In fact, as soon as the man was healed, it was the religious people who came against him. Please hear me because some of you listening to me, you have had your eyes open to a spiritual reality. 
I saw this written on somebody's blog the other day. Well, you know, Christianity at its core is nothing more than a religion of total acceptance. We accept everyone. Stop lying. Christianity is about a cross. And we can no longer survive with a crossless Christianity. The Lord Jesus himself said, if any man would be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. That anyone having set his hand to the plow and looking back at the things of this world and chasing after what used to lend him astray is no longer fit for the kingdom of God. Stop believing the lie. The greatest command of the gospel is not judge not. The greatest command of the gospel is for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you love me, you will obey my word. If you would be a Christian in our day, then you've got to believe the Lord. You've got to follow the Lord. You've got to love this great God. You've got to see him for who he is. The greatest line of scripture appears toward the end of John's gospel as Jesus is teaching and says that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is everlasting life. You see, even Jesus sees this man later and tells him, behold, I have made you well. Behold, you have become well, sound, whole, restored. Do not sin anymore. Brothers and sisters, we've got to stop playing games with God. Stop blaming and empowering the devil and start taking a little responsibility to discipline the flesh, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is a side issue, and I'm going to come right back to the vision God gave me in a moment. I'm going to tie all this up and tie it all together. Yes, there are times where deliverance is a series. Sometimes the land is too great, just as the Hebrew children, and we've got to take it step by step. But some of you are constantly asking for prayer, calling different people, chasing conferences for the exact same deliverance. And the reason why you cannot get free is because you've made the devil greater than God. The Lord is telling you, you fell into this problem. The demons gained legal right to your body because you were watching pornography. Don't turn it on again. You went back to the pornography and now you want to know why you're being tormented again. You were engaged in adulterous affairs, and now you're flirting again. Stop playing games. There is a part for us to do, and the part that we do is we obey our God. And don't tell me it can't be done. Jesus speaks to a lame man and tells him to get up, and when he speaks to command, he can get up. We can be free. And believe me, brother and sister, I am not being hard-hearted with you. I have fought more addictions and dealt with more demons in my own life than I wish to count. And I know how hard it is to let go. And I know what it's like to do the thing that you hate and avoid the thing that you love. I know what it's like to be caught in a Romans 7 situation where the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I should avoid, I end up doing. And I cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from the body of this death? But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ that there is an answer. Cling to him. Chase him. Cut some things off. Listen, there's a lameness that comes from the enemy where Satan has cut off parts of your heart and parts of your spirit and he's lacerated you and debilitated you through sin. But there's also verses of scripture that talk about the lame taking the prey when it's those who are lame in a spiritual sense that they've cut things off. They've plucked out the eye. They've cut off the hand of offense. Not literally, but spiritually. They've closed doors. The Lord is going to roar. And his roar 
is to his people. It's to the people of God in one of three camps. And what do I mean? Remember, what was the roar of God? Do not fear, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is the roar of the Lord. And just as when Jesus Christ came walking into the pool of Bethesda, and he walked over all that multitude, looking for one man, brothers and sisters, There is a great awakening coming. There is an end time revival. But I'm here to tell you the truth about it. It's not going to be like others. We have come to an age where people will not accept sound doctrine. People have said for years, oh, I would believe in God if you could show him to me. We're going to show the world the power of our Christ, and they're not going to care. Because you see, if you read the book of Revelation, you read about the tribulation, a generation that will be judged on that level on the earth has to be a society that is openly turned against God and openly admitted. Not, well, I wasn't sure and I was looking. No, I knew there was a God. I saw proof that it was Jesus Christ, but I didn't like his call. It's those of the Luciferian camp who say, we acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God, but we believe that we deserve a kingdom here on earth and we want nothing to do with this God. That Luciferian spirit is loose in the earth today. It controls much of our government and our economy, but it's crept into the house of God. And so there's going to be a shaking. The Lord is going to roar and he's going to walk into one of three camps. So hear me, please, because you fall into one of these. And this is the vision the Lord showed me. And believe me, those of you who know me now, if you don't know me, you might be saying, oh, wait a minute, this brother's talking about visions and this is getting flaky and weird. People who know me know. Listen, no, this doesn't happen to me very often, but when it does, I have to speak what God has shown me. Showed me three groups of people, just as we came into this new year. On the left side, he said, are the carnal Christians. And I put Christians in quotation marks. These are those who are playing games with the things of God. They're worldly-minded and carnal. Let me tell you a couple of things about what's going on in churches around America. And now, by the way, let me, let me, <clears throat> let me preface this by saying, I do not believe that every mega church is a bad thing. Mega just means big, and there are some big churches that really have the power of God and really are seeking God, but they're very, very few. We've become a mega church obsessed society. The pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle did some research on this and showed that for every mega church that opens in a town, for every person inside that mega church, you can find three people outside who used to follow Christ, who have fallen away and become prodigal or unsaved. You see, right now we're building churches. Let me tell you about some of the themes that they use. Number one, it was back in the uh, late 80s or 90s during a recession. A lot of people on Wall Street and different places like that had lost their jobs, and they saw that there was money to be made in the church. And so the world came into the church, and the church accepted them. Church growth strategies deal with things like, A, there's the attraction model. Some of you are in attraction model churches. They send out nice, glossy invitations to special events. They draw you into the house and entertain you. Can I tell you how this works from a pastor who worked with one of these told me the secret? He was the pastor in charge of membership intake and assimilation. He had a team of people, and if you were new when you came in, they tried to identify you. They made sure that someone on their team was seated next to you. These people, you did not know they were on the team. They're dressed just like everyone else. 
They listened to your conversations in the lobby. They watched where you were. If you went over, you know, because they got to have a coffee, you know, they got to have coffee and donuts. They got to have a, you know, place like that. If they saw you going over to the cafe, they looked for what you were looking for and had someone who was into the same thing sort of approach you. If you're a woman and you seem to be alone, they had a single mom approach you. If you were a guy and seemed to have no ring, they had a single guy approach you and kick up something about sports or whatever your likes may be. If they saw you in the bookstore, they looked for what books you were looking at and got someone on you who had read that book and, oh, that's a great book. Before the service was over, they made sure that you filled out a form and then these people made sure someone got your number. They go to your house, they get you into the church. And then they do not care whether you're saved or unsaved, be it within a week or two. They get you directly involved in ministry. In fact, within a month or two, you could actually be the leader of a ministry. The idea being, if we make the church the center of your life, you'll never leave. We don't care whether you're saved or not. We'll teach you how to act religious. Model number two, which is the big model most places are using right now. Find the best musicians you can find. Not worshipers, musicians. Put on a great show. Make it like a concert. Come on, why do so many churches have laser lights and smoke machines on a Sunday? Why do half our churches look like bars? Why do churches have gymnasiums in the middle of the church? You're worshiping in a gymnasium. Why? Because that way it feels like a coliseum. It feels like a concert. The concert atmosphere gets your blood going and gets you thinking there was a move of God. Preach a very, very short, meaningless sermon. Keep it positive. Don't talk about bad things. Don't talk about the cross. Don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Don't talk about anything that can offend. Tell people about their best life now. Tell them about good things. Give them good news. Sucker them in. Pull them in. Tell them they're saved. No matter what, tell them they're saved. If they're gay, you're saved. If they're agnostic, you're saved. In fact, I saw one guy preach a sermon. This is literally what he said. He said, Jesus went to a cross. I want you to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Can you see Jesus on the cross? Maybe you saw Mel Gibson's movie. The passion, see Jesus. Maybe it was that, you know, one of the old Jesus movies back when you were a little kid. Can you see Jesus on the cross? If you see him, you're saved. How many of you could see him? How many of you could see him? Raise your hands. You're all saved. This is a ridiculousness in our churches. And some of you are in churches like that, where it's all about ice cream, socials, and pizza parties. Listen, I am not against fellowship. We need fellowship. We have to have it because iron sharpens iron and we're in a relationship and this is a family. But there's a group of people on the left who are playing games with the things of God. They're worldly minded. They're caught up in the things of the world and there's no separation. And God says, I'm going to open some of their eyes. These are the blind and I'm going to open their eyes and I'm going to open their ears to hear my command to get up, take up your mat and walk. But hear me if you're in that camp. If you stay in that camp, the only thing you can become is a hypocrite. Not the people around you, you. Because listen to me good, some of those people in those carnal churches are actually, they're just dead tares who are confused and they actually think this is Christianity. But your eyes have been opened and if you stay in a lie after having seen the truth, you are in direct rebellion and you can be nothing but a hypocrite because you see what's going on. If you see them playing games with deliverance, if you see a church with a deliverance ministers as they call themselves are involved in adultery and involved in fornication and are violating the rules of God and these are the elders of the church and you're aware of it, but you stay in that church. You can become nothing but a hypocrite because at least they, in their foolishness, think that somehow their sin is excused. God will deal with them. But how does he deal with you whose eyes he opened to see truth, who went out telling other people the truth about the insanity in your church, but you go back there every Sunday? 
you cannot excuse yourself. And there are no hypocrites who will enter the city of God. My brother and my sister, there's a shaking coming. And for some of you, God is shaking you awake and he's opening your eyes and he's opening your ears. Come out. Run for your lives. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Then God showed me that there's also a group on the right. These are true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They embrace the full gospel. They don't just want to talk about salvation. They want to talk about salvation, deliverance, sanctification. They want the whole nine. They want everything God's got. And they're willing to accept both the blessings of God and the trials and tribulations that following him brings. I'm going to deal with that group last. But secondly, I want to deal with a group in the middle between the two. I call them the fence straddlers. When God showed me this, I was confused and then I got it. But this is the image he gave me in general. It's what I call political Christians. They're trying to occupy both camps. You see, they embrace the full gospel and they know the truth and they believe in the truth of holiness and sanctification and deliverance. They believe in it all. They believe in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. They believe in it all. And they also are aware that the carnality and games on the left side are wrong. But they have family and they have friends and they have people who are important to them on the left side. So they try to straddle the fence. Come on, some of you have seen them on Facebook. One day they're posting a Paul Washer, you better get saved and get right with God message. One day they're posting on the holiness of God. And the next day they're posting a Joel Osteen, have your best life now. And they're trying to straddle the fence between the two. So they have family members and friends who call themselves Christians, who drink, smoke, commit adultery. And they hang out with them and they say to these people, oh, don't worry about it. You're blessed. You're the child of God. God's not worried about that. And then they hang out on the right side with their friends and families on the right. And they talk about like, yeah, man, no, God's going to judge America. And we've got to pray. And this is the time for the prayer camp to get together. We, and they're trying to be political. Brothers and sisters, if you are a fence straddler, hear me. By the time 2015 is over, the gap between the left side of legalism and licentiousness. And by the way, hear me, both the legalist and the licentious are on the left side. They don't really know God. The legalist creates man's laws and rules to try to force people to follow things that aren't God's way because they haven't really gotten people saved, so they have to impose false rules upon them. The licentious person, because they haven't gotten anyone saved, simply excuses everything and says it's all okay to make everyone feel better about themselves. The gap between the legalist and licentious camp on the left and the people of God on the right is going to so widen, and God showed me the first to suffer the consequences will be those fence travelers. You have got to choose a side or you are going to fall into an abyss and your life is going to be darkness and emptiness and shallowness and confusion. Some of you are already in that camp. Hear me because God is opening your ears to hear this truth once and hear it only. Your darkness and your confusion are because you will not choose size. Choose you today whom you will serve. Come over to the right camp. Lastly, I want to deal with those on the right. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not a mean message. This is a good news to me. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But people on the right, 
See, if you're listening to me and you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you, you read the word every day, you pray every day, you go to church, you tithe, you believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit, you follow the Holy Spirit's direction. The word is not just a written word on paper, but it's living on the tablets of your heart. You sing that old song, He lives, He lives, my Savior lives today. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. You sing these songs. And they're life to you and you know it and you're a worshiper and you obey God and you've suffered the trials and the tribulations and you've gone through the fire but you do not smell like smoke because you've trusted in the Lord. And you're saying, well, what controversy could the Lord have with me? What shaking could God have with me? Remember I said when Jesus walked in to the temple by the pool of Bethesda, he saw the man. Brother, sister, Christian, God sees you. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your love. He sees your hunger and thirsting after him, but he also sees your scars. Your heart is not perfect because you bear the scars of those who have stabbed you in the back and those who have stabbed you in the heart and those who have betrayed you and those who you tried to save and and you witnessed and they made fun of you and you just got tired of it. He sees that you're tired. He sees that you're fatigued. He sees that you don't have the same strength and you're withering and he wants to breathe new life into you. But brother, sister, if that's you, you are in a dangerous situation, and here's why. When the Lord begins to roar, people are going to come out of the left. That brother, that sister, that cousin, aunt, niece, nephew, mom, dad, uncle, grandparent, whoever it is, child, I don't know, who called themselves a Christian but lived loosely and denied the cross by the way that they lived, God's going to reach some of them this year. And when they come back, will you be able to embrace them and accept them? Or are you going to look down on them? and push them away. Some of the people who stabbed you in the back and some of the people who betrayed you and ran out on you and some of the people who put you down and made fun of you because of your consistent Christian living are going to come to the Lord. Can you embrace them or are you going to end up like the prodigal son's older brother standing outside the camp, unable to join in the celebration? God wants to heal your heart tonight if that's you. This is the vision that God has given me and I know this is a little longer than I would normally go. But you have to hear this. There are three camps calling themselves the people of God. By the end of this year, God is going to start to make distinctions. And for a lot of you, it started in 2014. If you've been living in a legalistic, dead, cold, angry, harsh environment called a church that has no life, and God has shown you the truth of what's going on, take up your mat and walk away. If you've been living in a licentious church, where everything is volleyball games and fun day and Sundays and ice cream socials and pizza parties, but there's no real life of Christ and there's no real witness. If you're at the country club church, get up. I know it's scary. And by the way, stop. Stop the lie that you're fasting and praying and waiting for direction. The Lord is answering your prayer tonight. Get up, take up your mat and walk away. If you're a fence straddler playing the political game, stop being a political Christian. God is not looking for politicians. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for preachers of righteousness. Get up, take up your mat, and walk away. And if you're already on the right side, but your heart is broken and hurting, let him heal it. I want to give an altar call tonight. And I know some of you are saying, how can you do that over radio? God sees you. It's not about me. I want to call to the sick, the infirm, the unhealthy, the weak, who want to be made strong. To the blind who are having their eyes open and want their vision fully restored, who like Samson want their strength back, that they may be avenged of the forces of hell that took away their vision in the first place. 
to the lame who want to be made whole and to the withered who want to be reconnected to the river of life, to every human soul within the sound of my voice that wants to be delivered. Now, if you're driving or you're at work, you're in a situation where you can't stand up, lift up your hands. But if you can stand, get up. Holy Spirit has shown me right now, there's some of you who when I said get up, you tried to get up and you fell to your knees and you're crying. Stay there. That's okay. If God brings you to your knees, stay there. But otherwise, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. And by the way, some of you right now, within the sound of your voice, you're like, well, I'm not going to stand. I'll just pray because I'm all right. No, you're not. Because God has shown me none of us is right. Even those of us who are on the right side. We have scars and we have things he needs to heal because the harvest is coming. Brothers and sisters, lift up your eyes. Look to the hills. The fields are white to harvest. This vision is good news. Because for all the people trying to figure out the end times by looking for the beast and looking for the false prophet and looking for the antichrist and looking for the one world government and looking, stop it. God doesn't care about any of that. His eye is on one woman, the bride. And I know some people have said, well, well, you know, the, the bride of Christ is the new Jerusalem. Right, and have you not read in First Peter where we are a temple, a living temple of living stones being built up? The new Jerusalem is not a city or a building. It's a living, breathing entity made up of this body of Christ. That's why Jesus pledged himself the way a good Jewish man would have betrothed himself to his beloved when he said, in my father's house are many rooms, I go to prepare a place for you. He's engaged to us and the marriage supper of the lamb will come when the bride has made herself ready. If the new Jerusalem is nothing but a city in heaven, it doesn't need to make itself ready, God built it. But if it's here on earth, then the bride must make herself ready. Stand up, stand up and be counted with the Lord, stand up. I don't care if you're demon-possessed, if you're out of your mind, if you're addicted, if right now every demon in hell is lying to you and telling you, you can't stand, get up in defiance of them and in obedience to God, stand up. Lift your hands and lift your voices and begin to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see these who have stood, O oh God. This is your great and mighty army. These are your precious people. Yes, Lord, some of them are blind and some of them are sick and some of them are lame and some of them are deaf and some of them are withered and some of them, oh God, they don't know which way is right and which way is wrong and they're battling confusion and darkness, oh God, but they've heard your word and at your command we've stood up. Bless those who have stood. Father, in the name of Jesus, open every blind eye. In the name of Jesus, open every deaf ear. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, bind up every broken heart. Heal every wound, oh God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for those who are lame, that their joints would come back together, oh God. That there would be strength again to the infirm. That strength and life and knowledge would come again. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that those who are withered would begin to feel the flow of the Holy Spirit one more time. You have given us the thought. Oh God, to prophesy even to you, Holy Spirit, one more time. I speak to the breath of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, and I say, breathe. Breathe upon these who stand. Breathe. Breathe life into them. Oh God, for the single mom who doesn't know how she's going to raise her kids, breathe life. To that woman listening to the sound of my voice who wants to abort her child, breathe life. Oh, God, to that person who's been so abused, they don't want to stand because they're tired of being abused. And they know that if they follow you, 
it's going to be a different type of abuse because people are going to laugh at them and ridicule them again. God, give them strength to stand. Oh, God, let the bride make herself ready. Oh, God, may our garments be white once again. Let every shackle be shattered and every bondage be broken. Let every hand that was given to sin now be lifted up to worship of God. Let every tongue that spoke lies and blasphemies and anger and hatred have their hearts so filled with love that they speak the mighty mysteries of God. Oh God, I pray that right now within the sound of my voice you would raise up prophets and evangelists and pastors, oh God, and missionaries. Because the answer to the crisis of radical Islam is right here. We've been fighting an ideological war with weapons of flesh, oh God, and they do not know that the answer is Jesus. As the bride begins to make ready for the coming of her king. Come all who thirst, come. Come ye broken, ye heavy laden, come. Come to the cross one more time. To that person listening to me who says, look, I've been there. But I've been hurt and betrayed and I've seen too much hypocrisy and I cannot believe it anymore. Come back one more time. But come back to what's real. Don't go back to that house of lies. And to every person within the sound of my voice who's engaged in a fellowship that is not true, hear the voice of the Lord. It's shaking. Get up. Wake up. Walk away. Be free. To every person bound up to that person battling the demonic. You have the authority in Jesus Christ to silence those voices yourself. You rebuke the demons. You stand on the word of God. You renounce those things of the flesh and walk in the victory that Christ has promised you. Oh, there's so many others and I'll be here all night if I pray for you all. But in the name of Jesus, hear me. There's a shaking coming and a separating of camps. And it's not bad news, it's good news. Brother and sister Christian, that thing you've been playing with, it's time to put it away. That dirty little secret that no one knows about, God sees it. Let it go. It's time to let it go. Let's make ourselves ready. I know you don't think you can do it. I didn't think I could either. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes into the camp, this power, it's time. Let's make ourselves ready. Let's follow the Lord and obey Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are awesome. These are wonderful times to live. And we praise your holy name that you have chosen us for such a time as this. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Brother Peter Torres, thank you so much for coming on the program and especially that very powerful prayer. I want to encourage people to go to Peter Torres' website. It is linked there on the bio today, September 21st, 2015. Check that out. And do check out tomorrow night. Tomorrow night he's going to have a mass deliverance. That's 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That link is also on the bio today. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the program today, and God bless. Thank you. Not just for the program, it's for the things you do. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. And do come back and see us sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. God bless you. Folks, again, that was Pastor Peter Torres. His information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Bookmark his website, kqc ministries 
kqcministries.org. That's kqcministries.org. And it's also linked there today on the bio, September 21st, 2015, at weekendvigilante.com. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Tuesday, September 22nd, Peter Torres, Mass Deliverance, and make sure you get that information. It's linked there. Tomorrow on the program, Frank Marzullo Jr., a powerful teaching. You are going to want to tune into that. And thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night and God bless.